Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Exploring. Nothing personal. Word of the day is exploring. Today is Tuesday, April 12, 2022. Get your taxes done. You got three days. That's it. Unless you get a six-month extension. Exploring as in, let's explore. When you explore something, this is, this is a funny thing I was thinking about when we were talking about the show today. When you explore, are you doing it to find something? Are you doing it because you don't know what you're going to find? Are you doing it because you know where you want to get to, but you're not sure how to get there? You're exploring new territories. Does that mean you know there are new territories and you're just trying to find out what they are? I'm going on an exploration. I have a great feeling about how it ends. I just don't exactly know the path I need to take to get to the end. Or I know the exact path I'm going to take and I don't know what's going to be at the end of that path. So I always viewed exploring, right? Let's do some, let's explore that a little further. To me, that's, let's, we're, I'm not satisfied with where we are. Let's have a discussion. Let's see if we can come to a resolution of mutual benefit. The Lerner family is a family who I have known for a very long time. It's not a flex. I love Ted Lerner. He is 94, 95 years old now. I met him in 2005, 2006, when he was and his family were buying the Washington Nationals. And the reason that transaction interested me, A, because we had one of 30 votes, but B, the team that he was buying was the Montreal Expos, who were owned by baseball. And so we were going to get 130th, really 129th, if you will, but we were going to get one thirtieth of the proceeds of the sale of the Expos to a group in Washington. Because as you recall, with the franchise swap in 2002, when John Henry bought the Red Sox, sold the Marlins to Jeffrey Loria, Jeffrey Loria sold the, Marlin, sold the Expos to baseball. Baseball ran the team for the 2002, 2003, 2004, and maybe even the 2005 season. They moved the team from... Montreal to Washington, and then they went to find buyers to buy this new Washington team. So the Lerner family said, we're rich, we're in real estate, I think we should get into baseball. And I first met Ted, he was with his son Mark, his son Mark is the general partner of the team now, as Ted Lerner stepped down as control person, and They had a plan in mind when they bought the team, as every owner does. They wanted to be the steward of a franchise that returned in Washington because they were a big real estate family in Washington. And if you run a successful team in D.C., you are a power broker. When we would go into the suite in Washington, 
There would be politicians there every game in the stands. There'd be interesting people in the suite. They were hosting people all the time. It was just the place to go, the place to be seen. And it's not like the Nationals were such a good team for all the years. But there was something interesting about the way they ran their team. Like other owners, they ran their team the way they ran their business. They very much micromanaged. They got married to Stan Kasten. A little known story when the Nationals first started, the way the learners got the team in addition to paying $450 million for the team, they also were set up like a... Oh, God, what's the TV show? Like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel with the mother who is like a uh, a matchmaker. They were set up with Stan Kasten. Stan Kasten, as you may know, had run the Atlanta Braves. He's, a, he's one of the most famous executives of all time. He ran three sports teams at once one time in Atlanta. I believe he ran the Braves, the Hawks, not the Falcons, did Atlanta ever have a hockey team, Coca? Was there something called the Atlanta Thrashers? I must be making that up. Anyway, it's, oh, I'm right. So he was running all three at once. And that was a marriage that was a difficult one because Stan Kasten wanted to run the team on his own. And the learners wanted to micromanage, which is what they do. And they do it in a way that makes sense. They save money. They, they understand how to have economies of scale. And it created a lot of problems in the front office. And eventually, Stan Kasten and the Nationals parted ways. And he ended up then being married by baseball to the Dodgers, where he still is. So in 2019, the Nationals win the World Series. And it was magical for Ted Lerner. All he wanted was to win a World Series. And he wanted to win it before he passed away. And it's a family affair. You've got the grandfather, Ted Lerner, the father, Mark Lerner. Then you've got Mark Lerner's brothers, Ted Lerner's kids. You've got Mark Lerner's sister, Ted Lerner's kids. Everybody's involved in the team. And yesterday, they announced that they are exploring a sale of the Washington Nationals. And people are wondering, what does that mean? So I wanted to explain there's a company called Allen & Company. For the life of me, I will never understand why Allen & Company gets hired. And I am a fan of Steve Greenberg. I'm a big fan of Steve Greenberg's father. But more importantly, I understand what he does for a living. Basically, you hire him, you pay him millions of dollars, and he sells your team for you. I did it on my own with one lawyer. Me and one lawyer, a guy named Wayne. We sold the Marlins to Jeter and Sherman, handled the entire thing, had a CFO, Michelle, work with us. We put together a document discovery room. We put together spreadsheets. We interviewed potential buyers. We worked them against each other. You've heard the stories. But there are teams who hire others to do it and then pay them significant amounts of money. So it's a firm called Allen & Company. And basically... The reason why you hire a firm when you are trying to sell an asset is when you cannot believe in your mind that you can identify all potential purchasers. That there's someone who out there 
who needs to be made aware that your company is for sale. And there's no way. You don't have a big Twitter account. You don't have Instagram. There's no more trade newspapers. And it's just sort of a secret. Hey, I've got this business. We make cameras. No one's heard of us. So I need to hire a company to go out there and make sure they touch on all the possible purchasers. But when you own a sports team, all you have to do is call up anyone in the media and say, hi, we're selling. And it is front page, top of the fold story in your paper. It's on all the sports sites, news sites, it's everywhere. So anyone who wants to buy a sports team is aware that that team is for sale. But above that in baseball, if you are a potential buyer of a team, let's just say that Bruce Sherman needs to sell the Marlins and he wants to find a buyer. All you have to do is let it be known, hey, Marlins are for sale and people are gonna come out of the woodwork. That's why I don't take credit for finding Jeter to buy the team or getting Jeter to pay 1.2. All I do is take credit for making him believe that he was getting his money's worth. That's it. All the other stuff, it just happens because it's a sports team. And especially, there's only 30 baseball teams. And I would say that to own a baseball team is the 16th best United States asset to own. I would say the top 15 NFL teams out of 32, you'd want to buy those if you could buy anything. And then after that, there's about 15 baseball teams. And then the rest of the football teams, then sprinkle in a few basketball teams like the Knicks would be in there, the Lakers would be in there, but not many of the basketball teams. And then the rest of the baseball teams. So they're exploring a sale. They hire Allen and company. But the question is why? And I wanted to explain to you why you are seeing a larger turnover of teams than maybe we've seen in recent years. And there's something called estate planning. Estate planning is when you die, there's something called an estate tax. There's an amount of money that you can have that you do not have to pay estate taxes. It changes all the time, but let's just say it's $11.5 million. That means if you die with $11.5 million worth of net assets, you can give those to anyone you want, your kid, your spouse, your cousin, your uncle, or COCA, and the government doesn't take anything. If you die with $12 million, the first 11.6 is on the house, but then the government takes roughly, we're just using rough numbers, 50% of the remaining $400,000. So that's a $200,000 tax, the estate would write the tax, 200 grand to the government, and then you keep 200 grand, and then 11.6 goes to your family, so 11.8 out of the 12 is what goes to family, friends, whoever you wanna give it to. Now there's a million and a half ways to get out of estate taxes, and all of the wealthy people figure out those ways. There are trusts that you can do, there are all sorts of living trusts, there's trusts that can be created upon your death, there are things you can do to transfer assets out of your name. There's just all sorts of different things, loopholes that exist in the world of estate planning. But when you own a sports team, and that is not your only asset, the learners have a lot of real estate. They developed a lot of space and area around Washington Nationals ballpark. There's still a naming right still not done in that ballpark, by the way, it's still Nationals ballpark. They never got the 20 they wanted. Ted Lerner and I, side note, I was watching a game with Ted one day. 
and I was trying to sell naming rights to Marlins Park, and he had Nationals Park, and he, we were talking about naming rights. And we were sitting there watching, and at, there were years and years when the Nationals would just crush the Marlins. And we just, for whatever reason, we couldn't win there. They just had a better team, better pitching, and it just, whatever. And But I would go sit there with him, and, and we would, we'd be watching the game, and he's got two areas in his suite, and he would sit in one area, and I'd go sit with him, and there'd be people bringing him food, and there were drinks, and they always did everything first class. And I love this, man. He was like a, a grandfather to me. And we would talk about family. We'd talk about religion. We'd talk about money. We'd talk about politics. We would talk about love. Like, we just really talked about kids, all sorts of things. I learned a tremendous amount from him. And we were talking about naming rights, and I said, you know— is you really want 20 tell me the value proposition on 20 and he said david since when does value have anything to do with it <laughs> i love that line it's such a perfect line that i think about to this day because value is something that when i was on wall street that we always would talk about you would do a study of a company and you talk about how many uh, what the shares are, what the earnings are per share, whether or not the company's trading at how many X times EBITDA or EBDA. It doesn't matter. There were always these ways to evaluate companies and you'd look for some sort of value by saying, wow, this company, if you just sold off its assets would be worth $10 a share. It's trading at $9 a share. That means it's an automatic buy because even if they don't do anything and just sold what they have, they would get enough cash to distribute $10 per share in a liquidation scenario. So that just pretend there's a million ways to do things. And we were talking about the fact that in sports and in real estate, there's no accounting for value and i questioned him i said but real estate there are people who are figuring out what the rent payments are how much square footage you have what the price is per square foot and we were going through all these different calculations where you can figure out what real estate's worth and he said to me when you're first starting to accumulate real estate that becomes true but when you become a conglomerate you want what's known as trophy pieces a great example of this is Trump, right? To the to the tenth degree, Trump and the Kushner family. When the Kushners bought Triple uh, Six Fifth Avenue, that may have been the address, Coca. You can check that. Is it Six 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 Fifth Avenue, which is a big building the Kushners bought, and they they almost went bankrupt because they bought it. It was a trophy building. People who buy the Plaza do the same thing. The Plaza Hotel. There's certain like buildings where you just say, wow, I want to own that because it's just really cool because when I go to a party, you know, I'm a BSD and everything's great. So in the beginning, he said there's value with real estate, but toward the end or when you're picking out different assets that you want to add to your portfolio, you're less concerned about that value. And in baseball and in sports, what he said, there's zero value at all because there are people who so badly want to own a team that they will completely ignore all principles of economics. And the people who are studying your discovery room, meaning they're studying your financials and they're really scrubbing them and figuring out where there's upside and downside. He said, those are people who are not the type of people I want to buy my team. If he ever were to sell it back then, he wasn't pondering selling it because they're looking to explain the rationale behind a purchase price. And the best way to make the most money is when there is no rational thought behind a purchase price. Believe me, I get that lesson very well. 
So that is yet another reason why you don't need to hire a company like Allen and Company because you're going out there to find people who don't care about your season ticket base. They only care that they're going to own a baseball team in Washington D.C. and they've got ten other businesses, all of which need or ha- hire. Damn it, six, twelve, ninety-nine, six, eight. They've got lobbyists and they've got businesses that require lobbyists. They've got all sorts of issues before Congress and they need to get things into bills on Capitol Hill that impact business where value is the proposition, where it's a public company, where earnings matter, etc. But if you're buying a baseball team, you're not doing that. So the learners are going to explore the sale and Mark Lerner had to comment on it. And Mark Lerner, who became the control person it's got four years already, 2018, he said, we don't know where it's going to end. I thought that was funny. Of course you know where it's gonna end. You are selling and the reason you're selling and the reason why you're selling for estate tax purposes is you need to, to tie this in a knot, in a bow, do your hang low, do they wobble to and fro? Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? Why is that in my head? We used to sing that in grade school, did you? I never understood what it meant till I met Jack McKeon. And then I really understood what it meant. So you sell the team, you get the cash, because when you own real estate and Ted Lerner owns real estate, when he passes away, it's far easier to liquidate and pay your estate taxes with the cash generated from the sale of a baseball team than to figure out how to quickly move a bunch of buildings. So these nationals are going to be sold. Someone's gonna step in. And here is a commercial for all of you people out there who want to buy a team. Don't go public with your desire to buy a team. The first thing you should do is go talk to Rob Manford. Call up or have a friend of a friend. Everybody is within three degrees of the commissioner of baseball. If you are able to spend several billion dollars on a baseball team, you are within two degrees of Rob Manford. Very easy, get in touch, sit down with him, start talking to him about what the process is. Under no circumstances should you tweet, should you Insta, should you do any sort of press release, should you form an exploratory company and go public saying this company is made for the purpose of buying a baseball team. Baseball doesn't like that. So the Nationals are going to be sold. Ted Lerner got his World Series. They're above a $2 billion team, around $2 billion, I would say. What about the Broncos? Did you read yesterday? There's still some pretty old school money families around, like the succession families. I always figured the Walton family was like that. They're the Walmart family. They've created a ton of very wealthy people. There are a bunch of owners in baseball who made their money as part of the Walmart sort of dynasty that it is. Apparently, they're willing to spend $4 billion on the Broncos. So one of the things I would tell you about whether a team is worth that amount of money goes back to the beginning of this segment. There is no possible way to, in any way, rationalize that the Denver Broncos are worth $4 billion. There's not the amount of cash flow, no matter how much profit they make, it just it doesn't work. However, the Broncos are an NFL team. The Broncos are in the top 15 of teams you wanna own. It has nothing to do with Russell Wilson. People were talking about that. So there's another thing, side note, Coca. When you're selling your team, someone, 
was out there on Twitter yesterday saying, well, now that the learners are selling, what are they going to do with Juan Soto? Does that mean they're going to sign him? Does that mean they're not going to sign him? When you've got a player signed to a long-term contract, that's a liability. That's not an asset. Just FYI. So it is not in your best interest unless you have identified who the buyer is and then you say to the buyer, hey, do you want Juan Soto signed? And if so, what kind of contract do you want him signed for? Because otherwise, when you're looking at the team, you're saying, wow, this guy got to pay $35 million for 10 years? Yikes, I'm gonna, I may have to trade him, which they won't have to. But again, it's not going to really impact the price of the team. Like with the Marlins, you know you have to trade Stanton and Ozuna and Yelich and Realmuto. You just trade them. You still own the team. And then you build it back up and you try to win games with a new group of players. So will the Walton family pay $4 billion for the Broncos? I'll tell you now, the NFL is far more interested in making sure there is a, divert, a diverse person who is the control person of the Broncos than on the purchase price. Whereas the Bolin family, the kids who are fighting over the Broncos, which is why the Broncos are for sale, because they couldn't figure it out. Because, here we go, tying it in a knot, Pat Bolin did not do proper estate planning. The kids really don't care who buys the team. They just want the most money. So we'll see what happens with these teams, but you're seeing more and more of it as more of the older white owners are going to die or are dying or have died. You are going to see more teams changing hands. As we get new owners who are a bit younger, it is going to be interesting to see whether or not they're willing to change the way these sports are run both on and off the field. I promised you yesterday, and I lied to you, and I hate lying to the audience I hate you guys give me 45 minutes of your time. I appreciate it. I told you I wasn't going to talk about the Lakers again, and I really don't want to. But when LeBron James gets in front of a camera and says, you know, not, not, not the worst year, not the best year, didn't catch a lot of breaks. But when he was asked the money question when the Lakers season ended in an absolute pile of dung, and that is funny for those of you who know what just happened with the Lakers yesterday. Do you remember the old player? What's the name, Coca? Come on. We didn't, we didn't talk about this before the show. I want to say Luol Deng, who, the, who was the fifth highest paid Laker this year. People may not even remember that he was a Laker. So when I said the season ended in a pile of dang or dung, that was supposed to be a joke in case you knew that he was being paid by the Lakers, if you even remember the fact that he was on the Lakers with that ill-fated deal, which LeBron James signed him to. I don't know that part, if that's true. What I do know is LeBron James took to the camera and said, hey, I don't get involved. The front office is going to do its job. I'm going to hire a coach, figure out who's best for the team, and I'm all for it. I know the front office can do its job and do its job right. I'm ready to let them do its job, blah, 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 blah. Come on, Bron. Why not take the microphone and say, folks, we had a problem this year. I expected that bringing in Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook would lead us to our second title in three years. I had the best season I've ever had. I only played 53 games. Because my body hurts. I got to get ankle surgery, maybe. My ankle was completely sprained and cashed. But I'll tell you, we had the right people in place, and then we didn't. 
So I promise to you that this offseason, I will work diligently with the general manager to identify the proper head coach, the proper players, and we will return to our place of glory as the Los Angeles Lakers team that you are watching on HBO Max in a show called Winning Time. But no, he wouldn't own it. And then he got Rob Palenka to say, hey, you know, I'm the GM, so at the end of the day, the roster decisions are mine. I lead the whole thing. I've got accountability. Seriously, Rob, do you think that we want to read you say that? Do you think that your boss, Jeannie Buss, thinks that you make all the decisions on player personnel? I'm just spitballing here. Now, it's okay to give a quote like that so fans can say, oh, Mr. Rob Palenka is being responsible and he's saying that he runs the team. He's giving cover to the superstar LeBron James saying it's my fault that we got Carmel Anthony. It's my fault we traded for Russell Westbrook. Horse hockey. It was total LeBron. We know it. You know it. Enough with the quotes. So what is LeBron going to do for a head coach? How about getting Ty Lue back? You think he'll do that? There's a rumor that they want to get Nick Nurse out of Toronto. Coca had the best take about this before the show. He said Nick Nurse is going to leave Toronto where he is beloved, a world champion, has a wonderful working relationship, which he has no idea whether it's a wonderful working relationship with the president GM there, who stayed, by the way, when he could have gone anywhere, and go take a Lakers job where LeBron is going to play for one or two more years, two if he wants to play with Bronny and the Lakers can draft him, where it's unlikely LeBron can have a better team than he, uh, a better season next season than he had this season, because as you know, Father Time will not lose, even with LeBron. And Nick Nurse is going to do that? What is he, Del Harris? I'll give you a wait to see. Nick Nurse will not be the coach of the Lakers. It's not going to happen. Now, they are going to hire a coach with head, with head coaching experience because LeBron does not want any more of these first-timers. It's not going to happen. He hasn't had a first-timer in a while. Vogel was not a first-timer. He said some nice things about Vogel, by the way. I think Vogel got fired by tweet or text or something. I think he read about his own firing. God, how would that ever happen? All right, we come back. We have to talk about this show on Apple TV+, Plus, which I binged all of yesterday. It's called Severance. And then after that, we're going to talk about something that happened uh, on social media that is a part of today's baseball world and sports world. And it's something front offices have to deal with. And if they don't deal with it quickly, they're going to have a problem. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How you doing? Thank you for rating, reviewing, following, watching. Go to YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. You can hit subscribe, check the blazer of the day, check the haircut of the week. I messed my hair up today, Coca. I, <laughs> this is exactly how it happened. So I forgot that it was really looking good. And so I put my hands through it because have you ever had to scratch your hair and you don't do it down, you sort of do it against the grain and then it moves all your hair? And it's not like a dandruff itch. It's just like, oh, is there a bug there? It's just, hey, I've got an itch. And so I was scratching it and I scratched against the grain and I just noticed it now on camera. I'm taking care of that right now. Okay. All right, I binged an entire show, which was easy because I was up at like two in the morning yesterday morning. But last night I actually slept, Coco. You'd be proud of me. I did not wake up until four, which was amazing. So I watched all nine episodes of a show called Severance. Severance is executive produced by Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller directed six of the nine episodes. It stars Adam Scott, John Turturro, Christopher Walken is in it as well. Patricia Arquette, who you may know from True Romance. You may know she worked with Ben Stiller in that uh, Escape from Danamora. Uh, um, she, she played the corrections officer who was having sex with the inmates, helping them escape. So he's worked with both Adam Scott and Secret Life of Walter Mitty and Patricia Arquette. But I want to talk about what this show is about and why it's getting so much attention. The concept of the show is that when you are at work, you do not know anything about your life outside of work. It's not that you're focused on your work. You literally have, you get erased every time you walk into the office. Your entire life, other than what you do in your work life, is erased. And then when you leave the office, your entire work life is erased and your entire personal life is put back into your consciousness. So you're basically living two completely separate lives, Phil Collins and Mary Martin. Mary Martin. Because we will all live separate lives. Who sings that song, Coca? It's Phil Collins for sure. Shout out to Phil Collins. He just did his last concert. Very sad. He did a duet. And I want to say it's like with Marilyn Martin or Marilyn, not Marilyn McCoo. I don't know why it's in my head. Come on, separate lives, Coca, you can do it. So it's totally separate lives. And what happens is they're called innies and outies. An innie is a person, whether they're at work, who was it? Marilyn who? I can't hear you. Marilyn Martin. Did I say that? I don't remember what I said, but I may have been close. So there's an innie and an outie. So Adam Scott, when he's working at this place called Lumen Industries, he is one person. And then when he's home, he's a different person, but he's the same outward person, but no understanding of what's what and who's who. But there are people in their lives who know they have undergone this procedure. So it's not like they've been erased. They actually say they want to be severed. 
they, and that's what it's called, severance. Their lives are severed. And it got me thinking about work, family, how, how the pandemic has impacted the mix of work and family. It got me thinking about how, as president of a team, I ignored people's family issues because I needed them to work. I needed them to work efficiently. It's like I wanted them to be severed. But I never thought of the concept of severance. What I thought of was implied severance, where you where it's aspirational severance, where you want people to be so involved at work that they don't take calls from home, that they don't worry about the fight they had with their significant other or the fact that their kids are driving them crazy or they're trying to get into college or they're trying to figure out how to get through high school or they're on drugs or they're having issues, whatever they're having. And when you're home, your family would love it if you were not taking work calls and you weren't focused on the fact that your team stinks or that, or that you hurt yourself on the job or that you're worried about your boss or you hate your boss or you can't figure out what you're going to do. And I used to live a life where there was absolute bleeding of work life into family life. Because I thought when you run a baseball team that you couldn't have a family life. You're on the phone, you're available 24 hours, things are happening all through the day. And the merits of a nine to five or a 10 to eight or whatever, it's like 12 hours, 12 hours, doesn't matter. Where you are present where you are because you cannot be any other way. And so during COVID, there was a lot of people who started talking about the work family split. People started working from home. They started discovering they were more efficient or less efficient. This is the fun part. During COVID, people would say, oh, it's great. I wear sweatpants. I, I only wear elastic pants, by the way, me too. Anytime I have to put on regular suit pants, like to go to a funeral or something, you're worried they're not gonna close because you just don't wear pants anymore. And, or you wear sweatpants or shorts or et cetera because you only see people on Zooms, right? It's not just me on camera. We're all on camera now. People have been fired because they don't know how to work it and they start doing things on camera they shouldn't be doing and they lose their jobs or they embarrass themselves or they say something they shouldn't say or do something they shouldn't do. But the fact is that they say to themselves, how great is it? I don't have a commute anymore. So that's a bunch of time that I don't need to waste during the course of a day. And now people don't want to go back to the office full time. And so that has changed the economics of office leasing and office space. It's changed the thought process of people who run companies. Are we going to do three days a week in the office, two days a week out of the office? Are we going to give people an opportunity to work out of the office as long as they maintain some level, level of efficiency? Are you more present when you work from home, even though you close the door and you ignore all the mayhem going on outside, but the minute you're done with your Zoom call, you can deal with the kids? Do you feel guilty when you don't deal with the kids when you're, when you're working from home, when you're working? from work you don't feel guilty about not dealing with them because you're not home or do you feel like when you are working from home you can't do something because you've got to pretend you're working or do you want to do more and then when you don't do more you have this sense of guilt all of these emotions are normal folks incredibly common and what severance does is it takes it to an extreme like a comedian and this is no comedy Nine o'clock, Coca, on the button. Uh, sorry, three. <laughs> three o'clock on the button. 
That's a volume issue. Coca gets upset because the soundboard that CBS gives us does not have a mute button. And every soundboard should have a mute button because when you're talking on, my, on a microphone, you want the ability to cough or sneeze or fart or whatever you're going to do and not have people hear it. And so on this fancy CBS soundboard, Viacom CBS, on this fancy Paramount soundboard, which, by the way, I don't see a sticker. Therefore, if we ever left CBS, by the way, Coco, we can take this soundboard. Come get it, baby. So I can't. I have to turn a knob when I do it. And Coco complains that I don't put the knob back where it started from which is totally untrue because the knob is at three o'clock when I record and then I put it back to three o'clock, but he says, I'm following your volume. I can see when you're going lower or higher. So I just did a little ah, 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 and I put it right back to three o'clock. All right. Anyway, Severance. So Severance is not a comedy. It is not a horror film, but it's incredibly thought provoking. Season one ends in a way that makes you know there's going to be a season two. You find out that there are people doing things for nefarious reasons, shocking, that maybe severance is not exactly being used so people can have a work-home balance or they can feel the joy of not worrying about work when they're at home or worrying about home when they're at work, that there may be something else afoot. But I'd like you to think about it and watch the series and think about it from a totally different perspective, which is, what can I do differently to improve my work-home balance? How can I, and this is the most important question you can ask yourself, and I am an abject failure at this, but always trying to improve. What can I do to be present? Because if I'm working and I'm present, it means I'm going to be efficient and effective. If I'm at home and I'm present, it means I'm going to be efficient and effective. Who doesn't want to be efficient and effective? Who doesn't want to be in a moment? Forget the fact that moments now are described by people on telephones taking videos and posting them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been to a, ga a concert or a game or when something big's about to happen and the number of people who are live at an event watching it through their camera? Oh my God, I love that. I'll sometimes say to a stranger, and I'm worried I'm going to get hit, but I'm not going to. Hey, why don't you just watch that? No, I got to get it on video. All right, Severance, check it out. All right, Coca, play some music for me. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's from a movie called Half-Baked. Half-Baked is a movie starring Dave Chappelle. Go watch it. There's a character named Samson, and people want to talk to him. So get in my Twitter at David P. Samson. That's D-A-V-I-D-P, as in Philip, S-A-M-S-O-N. Get into my DMs, and I will interact with you as best as possible, as often as possible, if I can. Or I'll answer a question right here on the show. Hello, David. Hello. What would you do if a player takes to social media right before a game to show displeasure at not being in the lineup? I know what you're referring to. Game two of the Marlins season. So this has to be a Marlins fan or someone who knows about the Marlins because you have to be talking about Jazz Chisholm Jr. Second baseman for the Marlins. Game two of the season. Gets to the ballpark. Not in the lineup. They're playing John Birdie in game two. Jazz Chisholm had a good opening game, and Jazz Chisholm was upset. So people were tweeting, I can't believe Jazz isn't in the lineup. 
and Jazz retweeted those tweets. So here's how I would handle that. And here's how Dom Mattingly does handle that. Just FYI, I had Dom Mattingly in 16 and 17. The last two years of my career, he was the manager. He is now the longest tenured Marlins manager, most wins in Marlins history, and he's Don frickin' Mattingly. He communicates with his players every single day about who's in the lineup and who's not in the lineup. He knows very well that he wants to play in the first weekend the majority of his position players, get them a start. Jazz Chisholm was facing, would have faced in game two, a tough lefty. So not only was he trying to protect Jazz, but also he was trying to give a start to his bench player, Birdie, knowing that Jazz is a starter, but Jazz has not accomplished anything in the game. We're not talking about Roberto Alomar here. We're talking about a guy who had a good first year, traded from the Diamondbacks to the Marlins for Zach Gallen. Good trade. He's fla- he's flashy. Maybe the face of the franchise, but that's only because the face of the franchise, there aren't many faces left to be the face of the franchise. He's exactly what you'd want in a player. He's out there. He's exciting, excitable, loves the game, really good at the game. But he's a kid. Don Mattingly would be told by his PR people immediately after the game about what Jazz had done because we've got people who follow what players are doing, what they're replying to, what they're retweeting, all of those things. He would call Jazz in his office, and Don would sit. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you can't see the imitation. But Don has a a chair, and he's got these bead bracelets that he wears. He's got a big wedding ring. He's got scruffy, sort of longish, grayish hair. He just has this gravitas about him because he's Don Mattingly, and he's been around, and he's been a player. He's a manager, a successful manager. And the way he sits in his chair is he sits sort of leaning back in his chair. So it's not... Body language is so important when you're talking to players. He doesn't sort of, you know, stand up over the player when the player's sitting. He doesn't lean forward in his chair at the edge of his chair. He's leaning back in the chair. And 98% of managers' offices in clubhouses have chairs that rock back, right? They're not sort of sturdy stand-up chairs like the chair I'm sitting on now, which is not flexible at all. It's not a rocking chair, like a typical rocking chair, but it's sort of a desk chair that they can sort of move back because managers are sitting in their office quite a bit and they like to have that level of comfort. So what he does when he's talking to a player about this sort of thing is he would be in a very un, the opposite of like an elephant who's about to charge you, right? Just, he's just sitting there. Hey, uh, Jazz, listen. You knew you weren't in the lineup. What are you doing causing negative attention and making it sound as though that you deserve to play every day? Let me tell you something. You'll play exactly when I tell you to play. You know you're going to be in there the majority of the games. You know how much you mean to this team. But I'm just curious. What makes you think that you deserve to be an everyday player in Major League Baseball? What have you done? And he doesn't say it in a cocky way, in a condescending way. He says it in a way, in a loving teacher way. Like, listen, kid. GMAB. 
as president of a team, if I've got a Don Mattingly, I'm letting Don Mattingly do it. I'm not saying a word to Jazz about it because I want to pick my spots when I'm talking to players. And I want to make sure that when I talk to players, when it's not the when it's not sort of normal idle chit chat, I want to make sure that the players understand that I'm getting involved in something. That means it is a serious enough issue and it was not handled in the complete way that I needed it handled. Therefore, I'm now getting involved. But when you've got Don Mattingly downstairs, a veteran manager, I don't give that a thought. I'm not getting involved in any way. So if you're asking me, what would I do if I've got Don Mattingly? I'm doing nothing except talking to Don Mattingly and making sure that he's doing something knowing that he is. And you want to know how bad it is for players to air grievances in public that are going on within a clubhouse? GMs around the league pay attention to things like that. You want to get a reputation? You keep doing what you're doing, Jazz. Because I'm not, this is not about let the kids play. I want you to be flashy. I want you to do bat flips. I want you to skip around. I want you to get multiple hits the game after your bench because you want to play every day. I want you to force the manager to play you every day. I want you to earn the right to never be sent down again. I want you to lead our team to the playoffs. But I want you to do it with your actions on the field. You have not earned that right. Nothing personal pick of the day. 42 and 34. How is that pick of the Rays over the A's? How is I sp- Here's why. You know what? Betting's hard. Bet a dollar, would you? Because you know what? The Rays pitcher pitched a third of an inning and then hurt his oblique, left the game. They brought in some guy, gave up four runs, then four runs, eight nothing before you can say choo-choo, ha-ka-ka-ka-choo. Position player plays, 13-2, A's win. Mark Kotze gets his second win as manager of the A's. The Rays get their first loss. We are 42-34. and 34. It's NBA playoff time. It's the play-in. I know that LeBron James doesn't like the play-in, which is good because he's not in the play-in. Do you know that tonight Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are playing Kevin Love and your Cleveland Cavaliers? The line here is eight and a half. It's a snooze fest tonight. The Cavs do not belong on the same court as the Nets. Nets eight and a half over the Cavs. It is playoff basketball. Now the NBA, Coca, do they call it playoff basketball? I'm actually not sure if they do. Or is it you're playing in to make the playoffs, so this is considered regular season, but it doesn't count towards regular season record. So it's postseason, but not playoffs. Can you market the fact that you're in the playoffs if you make the play-in tournament? Like, does that count as a streak? So if teams say, yeah, I've made the playoffs in 10 straight years, if you lose in the play-in tournament, does that count as making the playoffs? Hmm. Could someone tweet at me and get me the answer to that, David P. Sampson? Let's get an answer by tomorrow's show. All right, I'm also going to watch an MLB game today. I think the Mets are doing fine this year. I think they're undefeated. What are they, Coca? 4-0. Everything's going great in year two of the Steve Cohn plan. You've got Cano playing. Alonzo doing great. Pitching staff unreal. DeGrom and Scherzer have been lights out their first time through the rotation. They've had no injuries at all, which is great. To avoid early season injuries is critical. But they're going against Zach Wheeler. So, I'm taking the Phillies over the Mets. Okay. I know the Mets and Coke is going crazy, folks. <laughs> hey, Coca, do you think I didn't know the Mets were not undefeated? 
There are no undefeated teams. There are no winless teams. It's baseball. How cool is that? The Mets are 3-2 and two going against the Phillies. Yes, they're bullpucking. Coca's like, the season's over. He's yelling in my ear. They stink. It's a disaster. It's done. City Field's cursed. Coca, can you take a breath? What are you, talking to Scott Riley every day? All right, last thing before we end. Stop tweeting at me and emailing me and texting me, Yankee fans, about Aaron Judge. Everybody wants to know whether Aaron Judge is going to get traded by the Yankees because he did not agree to a contract. We discussed this yesterday, and you're right, I didn't mention this because it doesn't need to be mentioned. The Yankees will not trade Aaron Judge. Don't worry. No chance toilet pants. All right? It's just business. This is nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.